So we're in a break in between series. We finished a series last week uh, called Awe, and we are going to be uh, going through a week of missions next week where we focus on another one of our missionaries and uh, then uh, entering into a new series. But one of the things we've started doing here at Long Hill is in our gaps, we have this little ongoing feature uh, that we call what we do here. And this is simply some of the values that we have here at Long Hill Chapel that aren't just words that we've printed somewhere and plastered on a wall or printed on the back of the bulletin, but they actually define how we do ministry and how we do it here at Long Hill Chapel. And as I've been kind of praying and considering where we've been and where we're headed in the next few weeks, I didn't want to just take a random thing and talk about it for a little bit. I wanted to go back to the one that really is foundational, that holds everything else we do up here at Long Hill Chapel. And it's a value uh, that one of my heroes and one of my mentors, a man named John Soper, uh, he characterized it this, and he has this phrase that he's used for years and years and years, and recently uh, it has really been sticking with me. And the phrase is this, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, most of you are in the room here, you're like, I'm in a church, of course it is. Like, why wouldn't it be all about Jesus? That seems like one of those phrases uh, that is super obvious for us and that we should be saying, but it's really challenging because it's difficult for us more than we would care to admit at times to get on the way of Jesus and to stay on it and to make it all about Jesus. And so it's something that we need to continually revisit again and again. Have you ever had someone answer a question that nobody was asking? Like, I have a couple kids, and sometimes they'll come in, and I'll ask them a question, and they'll answer, like, a completely different question. Some of you could relate to that. You're like, thanks for that, but that wasn't the question I was asking. You know, one of the things that happens with churches and preachers is we are famous for trying to answer questions that nobody else is asking. And so we come in and talk about important spiritual things, but you're like, that's not the question I was asking. That's not where I am in my life. And so when it comes to a value like this, there is something I think is so important for us to consider when we ask this question, and it's simply to say, why? Why should it be all about Jesus? I mean, as I said, you expect every church everywhere in the world to say something like that, but why should we care? Because I think the thing that defines many of us, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, is that when our lives are working for us, when our circumstances are working for us, when our careers are working for us, when our relationships are working for us, it doesn't seem awfully important that our lives be centered on Jesus. You know, it's the thing we come and we sing worship songs. You hear someone like me talk. You know, our kids learn a couple interesting things uh, about Jesus downstairs. But it's like we aren't so dependent on Jesus being the foundation of our lives when everything else is working. And I think the thing that happens is that this is something that begins to reveal our human condition. It begins to reveal why here in Chatham, New Jersey, and Madison, and New Providence, and Summit, and Morris Plains, and down where I live in Long Hill Township, and Berkeley Heights, and on and on the towns go, that we kind of just go day to day to day, and our lives oftentimes look awfully similar to all the people around us, except for maybe the radio station we listen to or what we do 
on Sunday morning. There's not a lot that we've often staked our lives on when it comes to this. And here's the thing, as I was thinking about this this week that became really just, it became uh, first and foremost in the foreground of this, is that we all as people, we are looking for something to anchor ourselves to, to identify ourselves by. You know, and some of us haven't even clearly done that yet. We've just kind of looked around and we look at our neighbors and we look at the people we went to school with or the people we work with and we say, well, these things are important to them, so therefore they ought to be important to me. And so it becomes about our children, and that's great. We love our children dearly. It becomes about our careers. It becomes about which neighborhood we live in. It becomes about how our house is built and how our house stacks up with all the other ones, or which cars we drive. And some of you are like, oh boy, here's the preacher going to rail against consumer. And no, I'm not going to do that. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that we understand that we're always defining our lives by something or by someone. And there's some places if you don't really know, if you're like, I don't know what my life is defined by, I just try to get through the next day and the next week and the next year. There's three places you can look at that give you a great sense of this. It's your calendar, it's your social media feeds or your internet search history if you don't believe in social media. And it's your bank account. So if you go into those three places and you look at where your life is going, where your time is being spent, where your attention is being spent, where your resources are being spent, it begins to reveal very much the thing that is identifying you, the thing that you are building your life on, whether you know it or not. You know, I was talking to a younger friend, we'll leave it that way, about a year ago, and, and, and she was just sharing kind of uh, her family goals. And she was saying, you know, we're in this place now, we're in a condo, we've got to go buy this, it was a big house in, in, this, in this town. And it was like, as I sat there as someone who's a little bit older looking at it, I'm like, who told you that you needed to do that? It's great if you do do that, but who told you that you needed to do that? You know, we remodeled our home, and I've, I've told you a little bit about that story. One of the things I really began to love is watching HGTV. Like, it became easier for me to watch Chip and Joanna do it than to actually do it myself or to have it done in my house. And so when I'd feel a little down, I'd just go, I'd binge watch some Fixer Upper, and I'd feel better about everything. But at some point, our homes, for instance, became, they, they moved on from being this place that we live that keeps the rain out and keeps us warm to the status symbol that defines who we are and where we measure up. And my simple question about something like that is who told you this? A great question to always ask yourself when you're going to the next thing or you're reaching for the next ring or you're doing whatever it is and most of these are very good things and you should do them but you should ask and answer the question who told me to do this? Who is the one who said you need to do that to be okay? You need to do that to be successful. You need to do whatever that is and as I said I know I'm just on shaky ground as the preacher who's telling people about how to live their lives. But it's a great question to ask yourself, why am I doing this really? You know, a bunch of years ago, I read this book called The Art of Possibility. And there was this phrase that stuck out in the book to me. And it wasn't really what the book was about, but it's something I've carried with me uh, for many of the years of my life since. And it's a simple phrase that says this, it's all invented. It's all invented. So many of the things that you and I give our lives to 
we give our youth to, we give our passion to, we give our energy to, we even give our hearts to, are things that somebody decided we ought to give those things to. And again, I'm not saying that those are bad things, but we ought to always ask ourselves the question, what is defining how I am building my life, the direction it is going? And where does this thing end? Where does this pursuit, where does this line, what is the end state of it? What is the point where I eventually get to where I say, oh, I have now arrived at my destination? And the truth is that a lot of these things don't actually have a destination. There's just the next thing after. Now, I remember when we moved out of our last house into our current house, we have, I, I, maybe some of you have done this, you're like, man, we have all this space now. What are we going to do with this space? Now, five years later, guess what we're complaining about or what I'm complaining about? I won't speak for my wife. We're out of space. It's the same question. And so what's interesting about that is it tells us that there's these longings that we have that all of the things very often that we're trying to satisfy them with were never meant to satisfy them with. And again, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying to stop doing what you're doing, but I'm asking you, I'm imploring you, as your pastor, I'm begging you to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this really? What am I hoping to accomplish? What am I hoping to satisfy? What's the thing inside of me that I said, if I just get there to that destination and that point, then everything, I will have arrived and everything will be great. And here's where I'm going with this and bringing it back to Jesus. The problem is with so many of the things in our lives that we do this with, they eventually run out. They eventually run to the end. And we look around and we say, now what? What am I going to do now? I've achieved the thing. I live in the neighborhood. I own the things. My portfolio looks like this. My family looks like this. Now what? Now what am I going to do next? And very often what we do is we just bounce off to some new version of the same thing, hoping that that will be the one, that the next one will be the one. And so we go through life smart, successful, accomplished people, and we just keep going on the cycle over and over and over again. You know, the ancient philosopher Socrates, he had this phrase, he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. So if we're not examining the lives we live, they're not really worth living those kind of lives. And so we have restless hearts. We have hearts that are looking for something to define ourselves with, to identify ourselves by. St. Augustine, one of the early, um, the early fathers of the church, he said this. He said, our hearts, is one of my favorite quotes by him, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And so coming back to our value, it's all about Jesus. That's what we seek to be here at Long Hill Chapel. Wouldn't it be great to build your life now on something that's greater, something that lasts, something that sustains through all of the seasons, the highs and the lows, the points where we feel success and we feel mastery and the points where we feel like everything is falling apart. Wouldn't it be great to build your life and wouldn't it be great for us as people, as a church, as a group of people who are called together to build our lives on that kind of foundation? And so that's the question that when we say something, it's all about Jesus that we're seeking 
the answer. You know, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, there's this curious dialogue that Jesus has with one of his disciples, a man named Thomas. And Jesus has started saying these things at this point in his ministry that were causing everybody to be a little uneasy about what he was talking about. Because everyone expected Jesus was going to come in and he was going to bring back the good old days and he was going to lead the ancient Jewish people like to this new place of, of their enemies being kicked out, the Roman occupiers who occupied their land being pushed out and kind of the good old days being back again. Everybody was looking to Jesus as possibly one of those people who would fulfill this ancient prophecy about one who was called the Messiah, who has come to save the people. And so what Jesus begins to do is he begins to talk about how he's going away. He begins to talk about how you know, he's going to be arrested and eventually he's going to be crucified. And he's going to this other place that he's preparing for them. And the disciples are like, hold the phone, wait a second. I thought this was about now and what we were going to be doing here. And so they begin begin to ask him some questions about where he thinks or where he says that he's going. And so in John chapter 14 and verse 6 and 7 and following, uh, there's this dialogue that goes on like this. Thomas, who was one of the disciples, and Thomas, if you've heard this name before, he's the one who kind of gets a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas. But he's the one who's like, you know, I want to see the data. I'm that guy. How many of you are that person where you're like, that sounds great. Show me how this all works. That's who I am. And that's who Thomas said. And uh, so Jesus is talking about where he's going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Lord, where are you going? How can we know the way? And Thomas in this moment is, is focused on what Jesus is doing, what he's about. And this is something where we find ourselves so often. He's looking for something to do. He's like, okay, you're going somewhere, so we have to figure out where we're going. How do we follow that path? And Jesus answers a question in a way that seems like Jesus so often did. Not a very satisfying answer, to the question. It would be like me saying, you know, I need to get to New Providence. Can someone give me the directions to New Providence? And then the person says, I am your way to New Providence. You're like, great, that's helpful. How do I get there? And Jesus says that basically in the next verse. And this is a very famous verse that many of us have heard. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas is looking for something to do. Jesus answers him with someone to encounter. And so Thomas is saying, how does it work? And Jesus is saying, I am how it works. And for those of us who are looking for the boxes to fill in and the things we need to check off and the plan and the map, this is a profoundly unsatisfying answer. And it's an answer that I think for those of us here in this room and who live in this area and are part of this church is one of the reasons it's so easy for us to get off the path of Jesus. Because we're looking for something that's a little more linear. We're looking for something that makes a little bit more sense, that's a little bit more worked out. 
But what we find here, and Jesus says this about himself, and by the way, this is one of the reasons that Jesus, you can't just say, well, he's a great moral teacher or a great philosopher. He makes these claims about himself that are exclusionary claims. He basically says, I am God and I am the way to God. So Jesus is the whole ballgame. And if you know Jesus, you know God. That's why it's all about Jesus. So Jesus is the way. Here's what we need to understand about this verse that we just read. I'm the way and the truth and the life. When we read that verse very often, we just say, well, that's kind of three different ways of saying the same thing. It's just a way of illustrating or expanding on the statement that he made. But when we look at how this was originally written, those three words, way, truth, and life, are actually vastly different concepts, and they all go together to create a whole. Here's what I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus is the path. He's the journey. He's the way. He's the way through. But here's what this indicates to us, is that Jesus loves you right where you are, but he also loves you too much to leave you where you are. So Jesus isn't a destination in this case, He's a path that we get on and that we follow, and he leads us somewhere. And here's the thing that's true about paths, and this is where this gets tricky for us who are trying to have it all, is that when you take a path, it leads you away from other paths. So when you get on one road, you're not also simultaneously on a different road. You are going somewhere, and it's taking you in a direction, and it's taking you away from other things. You know, my uh, son and I, uh, yesterday, and, and uh, my brother, we were out uh, hiking in the woods, which is one of our favorite things to do, especially when it's really nice out. And we've talked a lot about that here because I love the outdoors. But there's these trails that you go, and when you take one trail, it takes you in a direction, and it takes you away from another direction. And I think we understand that implicitly. But what happens with our lives is we try to say, you know, I really like this path, but I also want some of that path. I want to go this way, but I also want a little bit of this. And so we try to bring Jesus with us on our other paths in our life. So we say, you know, I'm going to go after these things. I'm going to ask Jesus to give me traveling mercies and bless my food and give me more stuff and put a hedge of protection around my family. And those are all good prayers, and we ought to pray those prayers. But what we're trying to do is bring Jesus with us, and that's not how how a path works. That's not how this works. We get on the way of Jesus and it begins to take us somewhere. It begins to take us in the direction. Jesus very famously, you know, he's talking incidentally about the love of money. He said, you can't serve two masters. You can only, you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. And so when Jesus gets us on a path, it means that we're leaving certain things behind. We're going in a direction, and we're moving away from something and towards something else. A great question to ask ourselves is, where, what am I leaving behind today as I follow Jesus, as I go in his direction? And so Jesus is the way. He's the path. But then Jesus is also the truth. So he's the way, and he's the truth. And if you think about truth, it's kind of like a reference point. You know, in our culture very much, truth is a very fluid concept because all of us have our truth. And that's not really how truth actually works, by the way. But truth is like a reference point. Going back to us wandering around the woods, there's a lot of interesting things in the woods. There's birds, 
there's deer, there's raccoons, there's really cool fall foliage at this point. All of those things are wonderful things. There's even on the trails, there's these maps that show you where you are. But imagine all of that disappeared. How would I find my way out of the woods? Well, it turns out where we hike, the Passaic River runs through there. And so the river is there. And the other thing that usually you can figure out where it is, is the sun. And so regardless of whether the birds are there and the animals are there and the signs are there and the pretty leaves are there, we have these things that we can look to and figure out basically where we are in relation to those things. It's a marker that says, I am here and that thing is there and so I kind of know where I am. And so Jesus acts like that in our lives. He's the one who says, you know, where are you in relation to me? You refer back to it. You refer back to him. And so I think one of the things that we can do so much more than we do is refer back to Jesus and say, in this part of my life over here, where am I in relation to where Jesus would have me be? So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. But then Jesus is the life. You know, when we hear that word life as Christians, what we usually think about is Jesus, he's the source of eternal life. That is true. But that's actually not how it's being used here. It's, a, it's like a spirit that animates something. It's the thing that makes you alive. So there's the path, there's this way of following Jesus, there's the truth of who you're following, but then there's the spirit in which that occurs and which that happens. And all of these are kind of like, there's only three of them, but it's like the legs of the stool. If I had a three-legged stool here and I took one leg away, what happens? I fall on the ground and you all laugh. Hopefully. Not too much. With me, not at me. But these are three things that go together and it's so important for us to understand that there's a way that we live there's a spirit in which we live when it comes to Jesus. There's a story in one of the Gospels in Luke chapter 9. The disciples, Jesus had sent them out. They'd been, he'd, they'd been following him for quite a while, and there were some people that were not nice to them. So they like weren't nice to them, and they, it upset the disciples. And the disciples go back to Jesus, and they say, Lord, can we call down fire from heaven on these people? How many of you have ever wanted to call fire down from heaven on someone? You can be honest. This is church. It's a safe place. There's someone, you're, you're, they're in the left lane, and they're in the state of Pennsylvania, and you're like, why are you in the left lane? You're doing 57 miles an hour. Get over. Fire from heaven. It would be a great thing. You felt it. You know what? I, I know I'm not the only one who has felt that. But what we see here is we see that there's these people, these disciples who are following Jesus. They're trying to do the ministry of Jesus, but they're doing it with a spirit that is not the spirit of Jesus. And so for us in this room, especially when our buttons get pushed, especially when we feel threatened, Christians are known for plastering Bible verses and saying Christian things, but doing it in a spirit that does not reflect the spirit of Jesus. It's entirely possible to study the teaching of Jesus and to learn about the person of Jesus and still miss the way of Jesus. It's entirely possible to study to learn and still miss the way because this isn't about knowing, this is about following. You know, atheists can do that, but soberly, Christians can 
too. And so there's these three parts to what it means to make your life and to make this church all about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So what's it look like? How do you know if you're actually on this path, this way of Jesus? The first thing is this, there's an encounter. We encounter Jesus, and I think more accurately, Jesus encounters us. And some of you, many of you actually probably remember a time where maybe you prayed a prayer or you, you knew where the journey had begun. There was a defined beginning point to your journey with Jesus, your journey in faith. That's the first encounter, but so often for us, that's the only encounter that we remember. What Jesus does is he encounters us over and over again. He does it continually. And so I think a question I'd love to ask you is where is Jesus encountering you right now? What part of your life is the thing where you feel like Jesus is intersecting that and maybe it's difficult and maybe it's challenging, maybe it's uncomfortable, but it's something because of who Jesus is you get to lean into. I want to talk to some of the rest of you too. Some of you are like, I don't know where God is in my situation right now. I don't know where he is. I've been going through all this stuff. I feel alone. My life doesn't make sense. There's these things that happen. There's this thing that's out in front of me. Friends, Jesus wants to encounter you right there in this room, in this moment. He wants to do it today, and there is something that is for you and specifically you that Jesus wants to encounter in your life. So encounter Jesus. More accurately, Jesus encounters us. But then there's something that happens. We see this throughout the scriptures, but it's true for us too. Whenever people encountered Jesus, they were transformed. They were changed. Things began to change in their lives. And this is a spiritual reality, but it's a whole life reality as well. It's not a one and done. The Apostle Paul, who writes much of the New Testament, he, he spoke very often about this, but one of the things he says is, you know, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God and to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word be transformed, it's not just like a one and done thing. It's this thing that's ongoing. It's this thing that's constant. And one of the things I always look at in my own life is to say, okay, I look back a year, what is different as a result of my journey with Jesus between last year and this year? And so it's this thing that is ongoing. There's usually struggle involved, but over time our lives look more like Jesus. And I pray that our church does too. And then the last thing is this. We join him in his mission. Now, Jesus had a mission statement. There's a bunch of places in the scriptures where he talks about it. Like in Mark 10, uh, verse 45, it says, Even the Son of Man, and that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus doesn't just come to do the mission, which he did, he invites us to join him in it. And what we begin to do is we begin to pour out what Jesus has done for us into the lives of other people. And in so doing, they encounter Christ. If we're not transformed, if we've just learned a lot of interesting things, we pour the wrong things out. 
But if what God is doing in our hearts is transforming us, over time we pour more and more of the right things out. And there's some things that are going on in some of your lives today where you're like, I don't like this. I wish I could just be done with this. But it might be the thing, whether we really appreciate it or not, that God is using to transform us. And so we join him in his mission. We do that and we pour that out in the lives of other people. Friends, Long Hill Chapel will not be defined by my preaching, by our worship, by our facility. It will not be defined by any of the interesting program things we do. They're all important and they matter a lot. It will be transformed when we realize that who God has made us and what Jesus is doing in our hearts is the thing that he wants to show the watching world who he is and draw more people to himself. You know, I love talking to you, Don, this morning because, you know, you lived here for a long time, but there was something that God used in your experiences that transformed your hearts that allowed you to take that step in a direction that you probably never would have anticipated. I, I love how you use the word retired because you're probably anything but retired. And so there's not these moments where we're just like, okay, there's this thing I do over here. God is building the building blocks of each of your lives to do something, to reflect something that he wants to accomplish in the world. And so I think as we close, if we're all about Jesus, if we say that we're all about Jesus, a great question of reflection for each of us, for me, is to ask, what's my life all about right now? What's my life all about right now? What's our church all about right now. You know, maybe for a couple of you in this room, this is something you need to do decisively for the first time. You've been coming, you know the songs a little bit, you know the people, but you've never said, Jesus, I make this about you and I make my life about you by confessing you as my Savior, as my Lord, as the one who came to die for my sins and to change my destiny from one that's separated from you to one that is united with you in heaven forever. But now in the meantime, I get to live on mission for you because of who you are. You're my Savior and my Lord. Or maybe there's a path, and this is probably more of us, in our lives where we thought we were bringing Jesus with us, but instead he's asking us to get on that path because it's leading you somewhere and so this is a moment as we close to take a step and say, Jesus, I know I've been trying to make both of these things work, but now I choose once again to commit my life to be all about you. And I know, I recognize that that's going to mean I have to turn in a different direction in some ways. I'm going to have to get off a path and get onto a different path. But it's the path that leads to life and it's the path you're on, and I don't want to miss it because of all you want to do. So my prayer for us as a church, increasingly, as we go forward, is that we would be a church that's known and experiences a church that's all about Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for all my friends who are here, and maybe there are a couple people who are here this morning that you want to speak to uniquely. 
that you want to move them from death to life. And so with those people, if your spirit is pricking their hearts right now, we pray, God, recognize that you are their Savior, their Lord, that you've come to forgive them of their sins, to set their feet on solid ground. And so they ask for forgiveness for their sins. They ask that you come live in their hearts, that you transform them from the inside out, and that you would do that work. For many of the rest of us, we come in here with all sorts of things in our lives. We all have busy lives. We have crowded lives. And there's something you're asking us maybe to lay down or for you to pick up or to do it in a different way. Our lives have been all about something that hasn't been you. Would you, by the power of your spirit, give us clarity to understand what that is? then the conviction to walk in your direction, to be people who have decided to follow Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. Spirit, I pray that you would be at work here in this room. I pray that you'd be at 